0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard.
1: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Radio Show. It's another beautiful day here in Los Angeles, and I hope the weather... Is great wherever you are. Wow. Last week's show about multi-level marketing stirred up a bit of passion. Mainly against, but it attracted some people with great experiences also. Now normally this show is about to- tools that can help you build your business. But today I want to talk about an issue of national importance. I want, I'm, I need you To contact me about my content, I need you to write to me, to email me, tweet me, become my contact on LinkedIn, any way that you can contact me to tell me what you think, share your ideas, your criticisms and your praise, and let me know what you'd like me to talk about. But today, let's talk about the mess that this country's in. You're a citizen of the world's largest detonation. It's been over 40 years since we're a creditor nation. We are running up $2.6 in deficits just this year. And that doesn't include the war effort, which is an off-balance sheet item. It's a huge number, so the government simply doesn't count it. What sort of sleight of hand is that? It's conning us. Income and the economy is shrinking. Unemployment is way too high. Debt is skyrocketing. And we're in the midst of a debt crisis. And most Americans have a little less every month. And apart from the top 1% who are doing very well, we're all getting progressively poorer. America's financial structure has been based on the idea that we can take anything we want now and pay for it sometime later. Now, it's time for an urgent change, but the government seems to be totally inept or reluctant to do anything about this massive debt problem. The Financial Trusting Index survey in May 2011 found that 80% of people distrust America's financial system and that 57% of Americans are angry at the current economic situation. If this continued dissatisfaction with the government and the financial system continues, protests like we've seen lately will increase and ultimately it will get ugly. The mentality in the United States that we're better placed than other countries in the same mess, is simply idiotic. The, this attitude's been fostered by the US Federal Reserve, by current and past administrations, who are in cahoots with a group of powerful corporations and individuals. We're all to blame because we voters have condoned this crap and, co- and continued to re-elect these perpetrators. Corporations now control the government. Virtually every government regulatory department is now run by the corporations that it's supposed to be regulating. So the country's policies on health, finances, agricultural, national defence and even education are increasingly biased towards enriching the corporations and usually at the expense of us. So how do corporations gain so much power over the government and the people? Well, it's really very simple. It's called campaign finance. The corporations hire 40,000 lobbyists, 40,000 who cozy up the lawmakers in Washington, leaving behind suitcases of cash and corruption. Lawmakers spend their time associating with corporate sleazebags whose work is based on the simple principle of greed. I mean, think of a thousand Enrons. That's who controls Congress today. Now, Americans have been conditioned to believe that they could take on as much debt as they wanted and that rising asset prices would always burn you out. But think about this for a minute. The financial market could break down. The US government could default on its debt. The dollar could go through massive hyperinflation and wipe out the value of the life savings of virtually all Americans. And make no mistake, it could happen here if we don't separate corporate and government America. And corporations run a nation. That nation has no real future because corporations don't think of the future. They only think in terms of the next quarter. They care about the next generation. They're not concerned about destroying the environment or the health care needs of the people or have no problem with inciting war so they can profit from the sale of weapons to war-torn countries all over the planet. Corporations will sell out the future for higher profits today. And that's what's happening today in America. Unless dramatic changes are made, America could self-destruct under a mountain of debt and corruption. The corporations and corrupt politicians have thrown away the dream of a nation and replaced it with greed. The United States has $61 in unfunded obligations, a projected budget deficit of $2.6 trillion this year, a trade deficit that averages $45 billion a month, and the red ink just keeps coming. A couple of years ago, the Fed came up with $2 trillion out of thin air and has very little to show for it. Now, the 2011 National Financial Inquiry Commission report into the financial meltdown voiced their disappointment and anger at government and business leaders of the financial system because they both cheated us. In their book, Reckless Endangerment, by Gretchen Morganson, a Pulitzer Prize New York Times journalist, and Joshua Rosner, a finance expert, They state that the American economy was almost wrecked by a crowd of self-interested, politically influenced and arrogant people. The authors also say that no industry contributed more to the corruption of the lending process than Wall Street. Brokerage firms were only too happy to look the other way while providing capital for a multitude of risky loans. The bank's greed and self-interest took the mortgage mania to heights that it could not possibly have reached without Wall Street's involvement. In 2007, everyone in financial circles, and the few politicians who can add up, knew that a train wreck was about to happen, but they were making too many billions to stop it. Then the stimulus package created more debt in order to resolve a debt crisis. The tragedy is, though, that those people that should have been protecting our economy looked the other way, or in many cases contributed to it because of their connections with each other. It's one big circle. For example, Robert Rubin was a Goldman Sachs board member before he became US Treasury Secretary, where he re- he fought to repeal the act that separated investment and commercial banking. Henry Paulson was the head of Goldman before becoming the Treasury Secretary who who would then administer the bailout to Goldman. Now, all the major financial firms, both public and private, have major players switching between the public and private sectors, working for their own personal interest rather than caring about the public good. The financial meltdown was not caused by rampant illegal acts by executives, but devastating failures of self-restraint and prudential government judgment, and prudential judgment on the part of government and business financial sector leaders. So when did greed become an American value? Corporate CEOs' compensation has skyrocketed to more than 170 times the average worker's pay, up from 40 times the average worker's pay just 30 years ago. Corporate CEOs are not working 170 times smarter, harder, or longer than anyone else. Now, greed inspires more greed. There's a huge divide in this country between the super-rich and everyone else. The richest 1% of Americans have more than the next 99%. The Tax Policy Centre estimates that 80% of the tax savings from the Bush tax cuts went to the top 10% of taxpayers. The Reagan tax cuts were intended to cut taxes on the rich so that this would trickle down and that would encourage investment in manufacturing and the economy. But research has shown that only three cents of every dollar trickled down. What happened to the other 97 cents? The rich kept it, and they got richer. So is it good or bad for our economy that the top 1% are making the majority of the income? Our economy is already reeling from the excesses of the past. One example of clear green are the investment banks that structured, packaged and sold billions of subprime loans to Wall Street and the world. But it led to the GFC. So how do we reward them? We bail them out. Some cite examples of so-called generosity in the super-rich group, existent, for example, Warren Buffett committing the bulk of his estate to charitable purposes. But do they really? is he really a good example Warren Buffett worked with the Obama administration to find solutions to the GFC and recommended the $750 bailout of the banks. So what did Buffett do? Bought billions of dollars in shares in the banks that he was recommending that the government bail out. Was it illegal? No. Was it moral? (laughs) Absolutely not. And the Fed's always been able to inflate the debt away by just printing more money but the debt's now increasing faster than they can get congress to agree to print more money government payouts including social security medicare unemployment insurance now make up 35 percent of wages and salaries this year up from 21 percent just 10 years ago so we've got two stark choices we either Wages and salaries have to increase by 35% or social welfare benefits have to decline by 23%. But a Wall Street Journal, NBC News poll showed that less than a quarter of Americans supported making cuts to Social Security or Medicare in order to rein in the mounting deficit. So it isn't going to happen. No one is prepared to make the hard choices. Now, with the world in a debt crisis, why in hell would anybody want to buy debt? Especially when the debt is in US currency that loses value on a monthly basis. Sooner or later, the market is going to have to factor in risk. And when it does, everybody is going to want to sell their debt. But there are virtually no systemic efforts to change the interdependence of government and private sector financial leadership from this extreme short-term self-interest. The solution to the public's low trust in government and business financial sector leaders is not through more statutes and more regulation. The solution is to change the interdependence of our business and government leaders and demonstrate that they are people of integrity and of some self-restraint in light of their fiduciary duties. Seems unlikely. The average investor is loaded with debt and will not survive the onslaught that's coming. The high standard of living that we enjoyed for decades is about to take a serious haircut. People are going to become really angry and it will not be a good time to be a politician or a greedy corporation. So, whew, (laughs) Don't forget to let me know what you'd like me to discuss on the program. Go to bobpritchard.com, tweet me, email me, contact me on LinkedIn, send me a bloody carrier pigeon. I don't care. Just make sure that you get in touch with me, give me your ideas, and let's get this planet moving again. It's small business that will restart this economy. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes with my first guest.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking,
1: No Bullshit Radio Show, coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Ziad Abdulnor, a leading Wall Street dealmaker, trader, and financier. In his career, he's worked on transactions in excess of $30 billion in value, while raising more than $3.5 billion in privately placed debt and equity financing. Ziad has just released a new book, Economic Warfare, Secrets of Wealth Creation in an Age of Welfare Politics. It's getting astonishing reviews. This is described as the book that the insiders fear. Ziad, welcome to the show.
2: My pleasure, Bob.
1: Firstly, con- be congratulations on the book, Economic Welfare, Secrets of Wealth Creation in the Age of Welfare Politics. Could you just give us a quick snapshot of what this book's about?
2: Absolutely. Well, the, nat- uh, the natural state of our economy is prosperity. Freedom guarantees that. Yes. The only force capable of undermining it is government economic warfare exposes that truth this book really is not about lamenting the current economic malaise with which the united states is still struggling with it's rather about solutions and about creating real wealth in today's day and age right you'll discover why engaging in the wealth creation process instead of relying on big government and big business is really the best path to prosperity in this book. You You know, the way I look at it, Bob, at the end of the day, I guess success is not important except in the impact it has on other people's lives. Yeah, This has always been my mantra in life.
1: It's interesting you say that um, the biggest obstacle is government. Um, It seems to me that at the moment... um, Corporate greed and um, uh, insider trading avarice is just as big
2: a problem, isn't it? Yes, but you have to uh, take to a to look at it this way. Uh, government allowed Wall Street to use... I mean, government gave them all the reins to go and play along. When you give a, ch- a child, a five-year-old kid, uh, 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 a gun... What do you think the kid is going to do? you got to try to use it. Government allowed Wall Street to leverage their balance sheet 30 to 40 times. And these greedy guys went and did it. Well, at the end of the day, the culprit is really government. They regulate, they deregulate. And Wall Street, the smart Wall Street traders and bankers play accordingly if the environment is regulated or deregulated. So I, 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 I'm not saying they're angels. I'm not saying Wall Street are a bunch of angels. However, the culprit really is government who has the power to instill laws and regulations to the people uh, around. Yeah,
1: okay, fair enough.
2: Um,
1: what or who influenced you to, when you decided to write this book?
2: Well, you know, I'm normally a very private person. Uh, I deal with a very sophisticated... Uh, you know, client base, uh, private and corporate. Uh, and, but I'm also a warrior. When I see injustice, when I see the abuse of uh, the power, when I see a bully throwing his weight around mm. and terrorizing innocent people mm. just because he thinks he can get away with it, I'm compelled to take action. I think the majority of American people are today still grappling with what happened to them and their yeah, economy in the fall of 2008. Uh, the media, uh, basically, uh, you know, they are really trying to—they're not really uh, doing their jobs. Well, they're trying to sell the not newspapers. talking about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yes, a few people made outrageous sums of money while the overwhelming majority of the Americans lost their entire financial nest egg. That's very unfortunate. Yeah, it is. But I guess that's just the way the market works. You win some, you lose some. In my personal opinion, Bob, what happened to this economy was, at the very minimum, a violation of the fiduciary trust and relationship that supports the capitalist free market system. In the case of a few highly placed individuals, it was a clear uh, conflict of interest, professional malpractice, malfeasance, fraud, and theft. Wow. That's exactly (laughs) what I'm seeing happening today in America. Yeah. The public servants who are supposed to be working on our behalf, paid by our tax dollars and charged with working to ensure Domestic tranquility and the promotion of general welfare seem really to be alternating between an ambivalence and an adversarial position where our fiscal inquiries are concerned. Yeah, I mean, in the name, I mean, when you really think about it, in the name of, uh, correcting the weaknesses in the financial system, these agents of the state, that's what I call them, have launched a full-blown assault on the true creators of wealth in this nation, while the small group who participated in, promoted, and profited from the crisis have walked away with millions of our dollars in their in the pockets. Yeah, it's interesting. This but- really book. The, 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 to, to, to make answer the question, this book exposes all the culprits, empowers the people to outsmart the system. And I believe is the new Bible of how to make a ton of dough even in these difficult times.
1: Right. It's interesting that somebody like Warren Buffett, on one hand, is advising Mm -hmm. the government on what they should do about the banks, and on the other hand, is buying billions of dollars worth of bank shares. I mean, that seems to be one unbelievable conflict of interest. Um, Absolutely. The Wall Wall Street protests, the... um, uh and the group not only Wall Street but across the world. And the disparity in, in wealth, not only in the US but um everywhere on the planet now. Um how do you view those protests?
2: Well you know I personally don't see a problem uh, with the protesters. Uh they can uh demonstrate as long as they have a clear message to convey and do it peacefully.
1: That's one problem. They don't unfortunately, have unfortunately
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, their message is very fuzzy, to say the least. Yeah. I really hope and believe that economic warfare is the long-awaited message that Occupy Wall Street will carry onto the world to effect a real change. This book is truly a game changer, whether one likes it or not, and time will prove it. Right. So, who's winning this battle? Be... The, the wealth
1: creators yeah. or the wealth takers? Who's winning?
2: Well, as long as President Obama is in power, the wealth takers will prevail. And I say this beyond any reasonable doubt. What, uh,
1: what about that group in the community? And I think it's a, a, a pretty large group that, um, it's an awful thing to say, but aren't capable of, or don't appear to be capable of looking after themselves in, in this um capitalist environment what do we do about them how do we how do we handle that section of the community because it's a fairly substantial section of the community isn't it that don't seem
2: you're to talking about like. uh, you're talking about which group exactly okay, sorry,
1: West uh, street no 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 I'm talking about people in general who who don't work who are poor who can't find their way out of um, out of debt and you know that's that's what's 60 70 80 million and, and people who are in one way or another um, prohibited from working through injury or something there's, there's what 80 million of those or something how do we handle that how do, isn't it the government's responsibility to look after those people
2: the government's responsibility is not to find jobs this is wrong uh you know people the candidates congressmen, presidential candidates they tell you you know what uh, this month we have Less employment, more employment. The, the government job is not to find jobs. Right. The government job is to find, is to create an environment that's conducive of creating wealth. The wealth creator's jobs is to create other millionaires. I'll give me an example. Today there is 5 million plus millionaires in America. Yep. 5 million plus millionaires. a population of 310 million. You know what, I would like to see a president a candidate saying over the next 10 years I want to create an environment that's conducive to creating more wealth creators and I want to jump this number of 5 million millionaires to 20 million millionaires. Think about it this way. You go and create 20 million millionaires and these millionaires will now hire people, empower people and create other millionaires. It is the job of the private sector and the wealth creators to create jobs, not the job of the government, through bailouts, through stimulus programs, through all this kind of stuff. That's wrong.
1: Isn't it a situation now where the the major corporations are sitting on pots of money, and they could be more innovative, they could start new business divisions, they could do all sorts of things, but they're simply
2: sitting on their money. They're not doing it. I cannot agree with you more. There is over $1 trillion of capital locked in with the banks. Yeah. It's not trickling down. It's not providing access to capital to entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs cannot build businesses and create wealth and hire more people without access to the capital.
1: yeah
3: True.
2: And this is wrong. Absolutely. We we I mean listen, let me tell you I mean this administration they have no clue what they're doing. I mean they're doing it everything upside down. Really? I mean, it's not a, uh, a government job to find jobs. You have to unlock the capital. You have to create more wealth creators. I mean, give me a word. Right now, it is the age of diminished expectations. People are happy to have a job rather than creating millions. Today, if you talk about wealth creation, yep. you're a bad boy. They think about you as like made uh, Madoff or something like that. Yeah. I mean, this is wrong. This is very wrong. We're really taking the wrong path, and then, look, When we keep doing the same thing again and again like we're doing it right now, we we should not expect different results. So I I don't see for the next year things getting better, the economy getting better, or there's going to be more jobs, as long as people in the government don't understand these basics. Right.
1: We're we're really running out of time, Zad. So your life's actually a, a real testament to the American dream So. Are the people that you work with at, at um, Blackhawk Partners as optimistic as you were years ago, or is the environment sort of stunted their enthusiasm to drive business?
2: Well, I'll tell you. I mean, look, uh, again, we come back to the government. The government uh, is supposed to promote the creation of the environment, as I said, that's conducive to the creation of wealth, not job creation, not bailouts, outs not subsidies, not expansion of the bureaucracy and not providing lifetime support to those who choose not to take advantage of the many opportunities that exist in this nation. I think if we can turn around the tide at the next presidential elections, I believe there is a very bright future ahead of us. If not, I'm afraid we're in for an even much bumpier road.
1: Thank you, Ziad. I appreciate you being with me. Ziad's book the sensational book. makes you really think about Uh, how the world works and how we should proceed from here. It's called Economic Warfare, Secrets of Wealth Creation in the Age of Welfare Politics. Thanks for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you would like to contact Ziad, his email address is Ziad, Z-I-A-D, at BlackhawkPartners.com. That's Ziad, Z-I-A-D, at BlackhawkPartners.com. We'll be back straight after the break.
0: Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, no bullshit radio show, coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Very few people have ever won seven world titles in any endeavour. My next guest is up there alongside Michael Schumacher and Kelly Slater as the only three I could find in action sports. Lane Beachley, seven times Women's World Surfing Champion, the most successful female surfer of all time. Lane has been a friend of mine since before she won her first title. Now she's a legend, a great speaker, an author a champion of many worthwhile causes, and she's still the same unassuming great girl she always was. Lane, welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. Thank you for that amazing introduction. <laughs> it's a pleasure. You've earned, every, you've earned every bit of it. Well, I've worked hard for it. <laughs> yeah, i <I'm> sure. <laughs> now, you're very quiet and unassuming. Yet, Well, to...
3: I've never been referred to as
1: quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yet to be world champion once is a hell of a feat. To be world champion seven times takes extraordinary commitment, dedication, and toughness. So where does that drive come from?
3: It took me a long time to identify that, quite honestly. It wasn't until I think I won my sixth consecutive world title, and I'm sure the journalists were as bored talking to me as I was talking about myself, but one of my good friends asked me, where do you think the drive comes from? Do you think it comes from being adopted? And I thought, and it really resonated with me, and I thought, I actually do think it comes from that, because when my dad told me I was adopted at, at the age of eight, uh, which was two years after my mother that adopted me passed away, it, it almost made me feel like I had to go and become the best at something to prove that I was worthy of love and recognition and I had made myself believe that if I wasn't worthy of my own mother's love, then whose mother was I worthy of? But if I become the best at something, then I'll be deserving of everybody's love, which is a, an interesting way to look at it. But I think that foundation obviously provided me with the drive but there's been three pillars to my success that are still relevant to today because I think anything that you learn in regards to getting to the top of anything is is relevant both in and out of me in and out of the water the three pillars for me have been my desire my drive and my determination and my desire obviously is to be the best of the best all the time I'm very competitive Mm -hmm. Um, my drive is to surround myself with the people that support that journey that the enhancers the the people that have more knowledge than me more skill than me in areas where I know I'm lacking it Um, sorry for that phone in the background and the determination to overcome all the challenges that I have along the way
1: Having said that you're just quiet and unassuming, there are a number of detractors (laughs) who accuse you of being outspoken and self-promoting. Now, in my business, of course, that's par for the course. If you don't talk about yourself, nobody else will. Why is that important in surfing and
0: being world champion?
3: Well, to me, it was important because women surfing, when I started competing, really didn't have that big a profile. It wasn't considered to be a viable opportunity for women. And there was a lot more challenges than there are today. There's plenty of opportunity for girls to come onto the tour and make great money, be picked up by sponsors while they're still teenagers. But for me, my journey through the pro tour was a lot more challenging. And I felt that if people knew more about me, knew more about who I am, what I like, what my values are, where I'm going, the more they know about me, the more willing they'll be to support me. So that's always been my focal point. Now, of course, there's been lots of detractors out there accusing me of, of being this self-promoter and being very self-righteous. But quite honestly, I did it to, to enhance, obviously, my own opportunities, but then also to draw more attention to women surfing. Because if they're coming to the beach to watch me, then they're going to watch everybody else as well. So it was all about promoting and enhancing the opportunities for women.
1: Yeah, I'm not knocking it, of course, because I try try my (laughs) hardest at that, too. Um, This shows about what happens behind the scenes, because there's always lots of press about what happens in front. So when when you were the current world champion, you're competing for yet another title. Mm. What did a day or a week in the life of Lane Beachley consist of?
3: Well, I'm a Gemini, so there's not two oh days the same. Yes. <laughs> well, variety is the spice of our life. Absolutely. And so, I like to keep things interesting. So there never there was never really any kind of routine that I could ever really find. Um, so, an average day for me, especially well, it depended on on what where I was you know if I was on tour then of course the average day would mean getting up early going for a surf I always like to surf before my heat because it loosens me up and sure. gets all of the all the crap out of the way <laughs> you get, if sometimes I have a bad free surf I'm actually quite glad because I know I won't have a good I won't have a bad heat yeah. um, but uh it, it also comes down to establishing some kind of routine to make things feel as comfortable as possible. I think that's why we have a routine is to give ourselves comfort because we are creatures of habit. So um, I, I wish I could give you an, a, a regular day in the life, but there never was one. <laughs> well, how
1: much time was spent promoting, contacting media, doing all those interviews and and talking to sponsors and all that stuff that helps pay the rent and keep the roof <laughs> Ma- on over the, the head.
3: Yeah, the majority of the time. Obviously the more successful I became the more demands there were on me. So and then when I was able to secure a really good sponsor then I had to work hard for that. You know, I had to go on autograph tours around the around the world and I think we did actually a tour in the states on the on the west coast. No, the east coast where we went from Cocoa Beach up to New York. Right. Uh, and everywhere, everywhere in between in about two weeks, and just signing autographs in all the local surf shops and and, and just staying in hotels and going in, in a minivan so it was um, it was pretty full on it was a great adventure, but then you know, I used to go and do photo trips and i mean it all it all sounds glamorous, but it 's taxing on the health and the body and, and you 've got to maintain. Consistency and a happy smiley face all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's right.
1: You've know, always that, got to be up. Yeah, no matter how lousy you feel in the morning, you've got to keep smiling. Exactly.
3: Because um, there's no second chance at a first impression and you want people to be walking away from you
1: feeling good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, when I spoke to you the, the other day, you'd just returned from a promotional book signing trip and flown halfway around the world and you were pretty worn yeah. out. Yeah. So Now, if that isn't enough... Kirk, your husband's a member of the successful Australian rock band In Excess. So, yes. how demanding is it to have sort of two legends in the one family? <laughs> well, the clash of egos must be fantastic.
3: Love it. <laughs> yeah, rock star. Shut up, surf star. There's no real clash. I think, you know, we were set up many years ago by um, a lead singer called John Stevens, who. Yep who fronted up a, a band called Noiseworks and then when they broke up, he was fronting In Excess for a little while. And the reason that he set us up is because we both have become successful in our own rights in our careers. So we'd have a mutual understanding, a mutual amount of respect and appreciation for what the other has done. So we could easily communicate about you know, each other's job and understand that yes, they have to be away a lot. Kirk's on tour. This, we got married a year ago and he's been on tour for five and a half months this year. So right. it's been pretty insane dealing with, um, that amount of time apart. But it makes every moment together really special. I think, you know, we've probably been, I think we've been together nine years. We've probably spent only about six of that actually together because <laughs> he's, either he's on tour or I am. So no, there's no clash. There's just a mutual admiration and support for each other and, you know, he doesn't actually practice his music when he's home. He, he keeps himself busy in the garden or doing, drinking spritzes or doing whatever it is he does. And, and I keep myself busy by going surfing and staying out of his way.
1: <laughs> There's got to be... Because a lot of, I know with me, a lot of the, um, you know when I go and give a speech somewhere, the me that's up on the stage is a totally different me than the me that sits at home with a glass of red wine and gets melancholy and worries about stuff. Yeah. And right. I guess you two guys have both got that, that um, outward persona. And yeah. when, you're, when you're at home, it gives you a chance to drop the guard to just be who the hell you are and have somebody yeah. that understands where you're coming from. That's got to be great.
3: It's very reward. It's, yes, it is great. It's satisfying. It's comforting. Um, you know, Kirk's the most nurturing man you'll ever meet. Sometimes I do refer to him as my wife because, <laughs> um, he's so much more thoughtful than I am. He's so considerate. He remembers birthdays and anniversaries and engagements and, you know, he's a, he's a Cancerian. So he's very homebody. You know, he loves to have his space and be cleaner. But then there's times when I just look at him and go, if only your fans could see you now. You're so not a rock star yeah. you know so the opposite of the guy that i see up on stage and like you said you know when we stand up and we present ourselves we always want to put our best foot forward we always want to give people something tangible something lasting and give them what they want and essentially that's what rock stars have to do regardless of how they feel and that's what us as speakers have to do also yeah,
1: yeah. so one thing that i really admire about you it you you, Only one um, thing? <laughs> no, I like lots of things about you, but um, one of the things that I really do admire about you is your tireless work for causes, you're always popping up with, okay. with lots of causes, but the Aim for the Stars Foundation, which you created what nearly 10 years ago now, yep. um, was established to help young women achieve their dreams, no matter what the hell they do in life or yep. what they want to do in life to achieve their dreams. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you set that up and the successes you've enjoyed and how people that are listening perhaps might be able to um, to contribute? Well,
3: the Aim for the Stars was a foundation that I established Back in 2003, now to uh, prevent essentially prevent girls from quitting, and it, it emanated from the frustrations that I experienced in the early stages of my career when I was number two in the world, earning $8,000 a year, working four jobs at 60 hours a week, and didn't have the financial independence to then afford to go out on tour and win a world title. And that frustration just prevent it. it prevented me from achieving my dreams. And fortunately, I had the support and empathy of different people in different periods that provided me with the extra money to then go out and and achieve my dreams because they believed in me. So I established a foundation to give financial and moral support to girls. And the, the motto of the foundation is Dare to Dream, Pursue Your Passion and Aspire to Achieve. Now, we're not just talking about athletes here. We're talking about... Uh, pursuits in music and science Culture, arts, academia Indigenous studies, environmental campaigns You know, we're just supporting yeah. the, the dreams and aspirations of women And it's a very rewarding thing to do Man, my phone is running hot today
1: That's um, good <laughs> uh, yeah. Contracts, money People sharing <laughs> you with money Pay me um, <laughs> But it's
3: a really rewarding thing to be able to give back to girls, and and um, you know, because if if you know that someone believes in you, then that gives you the inspiration and the motivation to continue believing in yourself. and so that's what I do And we've had some amazing success stories The the two that stand out in my mind at the moment the, There was a young girl called Emma Henshaw Who was an aerial trapeze artist And there's very limited amount of support for aerial trapeze I'm sure <laughs> And um, she applied to the foundation All the girls go onto the website And there's an application criteria and form That they have to fill in and apply And then my board of directors go through every one of them And we get about 400 or so applications a year mm-hmm. And um, and we go through every one of them, which is a tiring process. But um, Emma applied for for a grant; she was successful. We gave we give twelve to fifteen year olds fifteen hundred dollars, and sixteen and above year olds three thousand dollars, and then we give six grand to groups. Right. And we're pretty flexible and fluid with our application process, which means if there's girls that are applying, and we don't actually have a category that fits into what they're applying for, then we create one if we think they're that deserving.
0: Oh, all right. great.
3: Yeah, it's it's fun. So yeah, Emma was an aerial trapeze artist. She she went to Montreal to compete in the world, um the world championships of trapeze and actually won two gold medals. And from there, was then headhunted by Cirque du Soleil. And now Fantastic. Performs, now lives in Los Angeles performing performing for Cirque du Soleil. And then there was another young girl called Casey who, on her application, she was one of the first girls to ever receive a grant. She is a hockey player. And it was her dream to represent Australia as um, in the the hockey Roos team at the Beijing Olympics, which she went on to achieve, and then we've got another young girl who we have given a scholarship to to follow her ballet career. We had some incredible girls this year. One was a rally car driver. Another one was a game fisher woman. Another lady had pre- established a, um, a literacy education program that she was having problems funding to get the website up and going that could just be implemented into schools. And then we also supported these two indigenous ladies who had created a sister speak program to uh, support and mentor. Uh, indigenous youth in
1: the Byron Bay area of the North New South Wales coast. So. That's
3: fantastic. Lane. Yes, incredible are. girls out there doing amazing things.
1: Great. You're one of them. No, you thanks, ha- Bob. You have been a fantastic ambassador for sport, for the community, for women, and you're just a great person. Oh, so thanks. if you're listening out there and you'd like to contact Lane, mm-hmm. go to her website, which is www.lanebeachley.com. I'll be back the other side of this message break. I'll catch you again in a couple of minutes.
0: The Business Community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing advertising, performance measurement, or some other area. Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at BobPritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back
1: to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Radio Show coming to you this week from Los Angeles. The whole purpose of this show is to help SMEs build their businesses because it's the so-called small businesses that are going to kickstart this economy. And today I'm going to talk to you about risk reversal. It's a very simple tool that can dramatically increase your sale closure rates. The most common reason why people are often hesitant to buy a product or service is because in in one way or another, almost every transaction is a risk. You know, what if the product doesn't work? I wonder if the claims are true. What if my spouse doesn't like it? You know, do I really need it? All of those sorts of questions. One way to change this situation is to take away that risk. So in my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, I talk in detail about this um, and about the four kinds of risks, which are emotional risk, physical risk, financial risk, and social risk. But um, today I'll just brush on the major points and um, it'll help you close sales. And it's very time-consuming. It's often confusing to research a product before buying it. However, if the supplier takes away the risk, for example, by giving you a guarantee so that if there's a problem, you don't have to pay for it, what do you have to lose? Nothing. So why not buy it now if there's a problem? You get your money back. You haven't lost. There are seven types of risk reversals, and I just want to run through them quickly one at a time. The first one is obviously money back guarantee, and you know many businesses seem to be afraid to offer a money back guarantee because they think that the people are going to use the product and then return it and ask for money back. But people don't. Uh, in my business, we offer two risk reversal opportunities. The firstly, we don't charge clients a fee if we don't improve their business. And the second provides a full money-back guarantee on all books, CDs, and videos. Now, after working around the world for 30-odd years, we have never had one single instance in which the fee's not been paid. Furthermore, despite the thousands of products that we sold, we've never had even one return. So people don't take advantage. Secondly, match competitive offers. This usually takes the form of... You know, find a cheaper price elsewhere and pay you double or triple the difference. And this is really a very low risk offer because the price differential in a highly competitive market is usually really small. You know, a few dollars at most. So even if people did claim, which they don't, three times almost nothing is still almost nothing. The third risk reverse is to replace your purchase with another item at no cost. So rather than give a refund on a particular item, offer the customer the opportunity to select some other item from the store at the same value. And if you offer a a wide range of products or services, this will reassure the customer because there will almost always be something else that they'll want. The fourth risk reversal is buy one, get one free. And the buy one, get one free offer is appeals to greed. And it's a form of risk reversal that's very effective, particularly for new product launchers. The one that always sticks in my head is Little Caesar. Pizza, pizza, you get two pizzas for the price of one, highly effective. The fifth kind of risk reversal is a free trial. Now. A friend of mine had Thomas the Tank Engine children's beds, and couldn't give them away because people were worried about whether the bed would date and the, the child would get, get just simply get tired of it. So the company decided to give customers a month's free trial. So they'd deliver the bed to the home, and at the end of the month, if they wanted to return it, there was no questions asked, and the company would pick up all the freight. So no risk. The result. The bed was back-ordered for months. The returns, none. Who is going to go and take a bed off a kid who's been sleeping in it for a month and send it back? You'd never get away with it. So returns, none, and it was a great way to get the products out there. Another common one um, is testimonials and awards. People buy Nike because LeBron James wears them. People go to award-winning restaurants, go to award-winning films, award-winning Businesses, because the awards are the proof that the business is good. And another form is saying established in 1937. If you've been around that long, you've got to be good. Or you have 10,000 satisfied customers. Says to people, we're reliable. We've been around a long time. Other people use us. We're trustworthy. So that really takes away risk. Next one, quality of information. This is really important. Providing a customer with quality information, answering their questions accurately and confidently, an excellent risk reversal. It gives the customer confidence that they're buying the right product for their need and that you have the expert help readily available for them. And risk reversal works for everyone. It doesn't matter what business you're in. However, before you implement any form of risk reversal, research your customers to determine two things first is whether the offer is strong enough to motivate them to commit the second one is to assess the downside risk you know remember you're implementing risk reversal to grow your business not go out of business now last week we discussed the pros and cons of multi-level marketing and we received a lot of emails mainly from people who say that their experience didn't live up to the promise by the promoters but there are also a number of very positive emails from people whose lives have been changed for the better janice davis of trenton new jersey says in her email bob great show your tropics have helped me develop sales in my business now i'm a distributor in an MLM company and my question is whether i should focus on getting more distributors or should i put my efforts in selling and motivating my team Janice, the simple answer is you need to do both. If you've got a lot of people in your downline and they sell nothing, (laughs) well, you make nothing. In most MLM businesses, distributors are part-time and sales per distributor are pretty low. So you need to keep recruiting and motivating. MLM is not easy. Gary Garcia from Indianapolis, Indiana, His question goes back a couple of programs to when we were discussing consumer purchasing benefits. Gary writes, Bob, I enjoy the show. I'm a carpenter, and I'm now trying to develop a consumer purchasing benefit, as you mentioned. You suggested a test to apply to determine the effectiveness of the CPB. What is it? Gary, it's called the IDU test. It means your CPB must be important, so it must differentiate you. It must be deliverable. You must be able to do it, and it must be unique. And this is where most CPBs fall down. So, Gary, just ensure that your CPB is unique. So if you're listening and don't have a business, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, my book, is a must-have book. And if it doesn't make your business successful, drop me an email. I will refund your money instantly. That's how confident I am. And keep the book. Don't have to send the book back. So I've used these 15 keys for years and years in lots of products, and they always work. So pick up a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets at your local bookstore or at amazon.com. Now, don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com, sign up for my newsletter, email me. Tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn, and tell me what it is that you want to talk about. Now, that's, that's it from me today, Bob Pritchard. It's great to be back home in LA again, and I thank you for listening to my show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back at the same time next week. Next time without an editorial, but with more tips to help you grow your business. And don't forget my upcoming interview with Gene Simmons. In the meanwhile, kick some butt. Have some fun. Let's get this economy going. And I'll see you again next week.
0: You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.